And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series. The race is on, and Red Bull is the first of F1's big guns to launch its 2022 car with the RB18 revealed in a digital launch today. But given what we've seen shows very little of the real car, what exactly is Red Bull hiding and what conclusions can we really draw from what we've seen? I'm Ed Straw, and to answer those questions and many more, I'm joined by Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, as always with our Car Reveal podcast, we'll dive straight into it. Now, we didn't expect Red Bull to give away too many secrets with this car launch, but they've really gone to extremes with this one, haven't they? Yeah, I don't even believe that was a Red Bull. It was, um, it's, it's got so many elements from other generic show cars that we've seen from the F1 Authentic uh, air, air box inlet, uh, the wind tunnel model, front wing, the generic cars, side pods. It's it, it just in Red Bull livery. So, um, yeah, I think what we will what we will actually see at uh, testing in Barcelona won't look very much like that. It has a hope not almost from Red Bull's perspective because it would be uh, pretty much at the back, I imagine, if they if they do that. I mean, Gary, why do you think they go to these lengths to hide? what's going on with the car, and also how irritating is it that they've badged this as a car launch and you're just looking at something that, that doesn't bear any resemblance to reality? Um, well, it's very frustrating, obviously, but you know, I've, I've sort of written my detailed analysis that as best I can based on what they show us because that's all we can do. You know, what, what do we do? Do we not bother? What's the point in it, really? Is it, is it just a, um, something that Red Bull wanted to, to, to be able to say that Oracle were joining them as a a team name, um, you know, it's absolutely just a waste of time for everybody. You know, this is a time whenever we're talking about budget control and and budget, um, you know, budget cuts, basically. All of this stuff costs huge amounts of money and you have to be careful because you, you can only spend it once. So, you know, I know that a lot of the commercial activities are outside of the budget cap, but it's still, it still takes effort and man party to put something like this together. So it's very, very disappointing that they look at it as um, a non-event, really, I suppose you might say. And it's maybe just because the car's not ready. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect a Red Bull to be ready, sort of two weeks prior to the first test. They're normally still bolting the car together whenever we actually arrive in Barcelona on the the morning of the first day of testing, because they like to push everything right to the limit. So, um, yeah, this isn't a car that I would say as a Red Bull by any means. And as I say, I still have to do my my analysis based on what they show us. Yeah, you have to take them at their word. What was it? Was it Renault, Mark, in 2010 who rolled out 
a car at Valencia that they said was the new car, and it was actually built around the 2009 car. And they got really irritated that people like us said, well, they haven't made much progress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that's right. I think it was 2010, yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, that that's the, the, what Gary's just said there occurred to me as well. Have, have they... Have they just not got the 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 other one ready yet? Is it, and so there's nothing really to show at this early stage, um, or is there something on that car that might give that, that, that's a bit of an innovation that might give clues to everybody else and give them a head start in researching it? Um, I would guess probably the, definitely the the former, but um, that doesn't preclude the latter as, as well. I get the impression that what this really was was a new sponsor launch, wasn't it? It was a livery launch. They had Oracle. It's now Oracle Red Bull Racing. It says Oracle all over the car. New title partner. And they get more eyeballs on it if they say it's a proper car launch. The thing that I think is a little bit of a shame is they made a lot of the fact that this was a, a fan-first experience, they called it, and they allowed various fans to stream it on their own social media platforms, which is great. But also, treat your fans with some respect and tell them what you're actually doing, because really it was just, I think, about getting more eyeballs on on their sponsor, which is, I think, a little bit a little bit sneaky from uh, from Red Bull. I'm sure the car wouldn't be ready now anyway, but like you've both said, it wouldn't be scheduled to be ready now anyway, so I don't think that reflects big problems for Red Bull or anything that stuff slips. I think it's just a different kind of, uh, <laughs> kind of uh, event. But Gary, when you look at that car, I mean, we, we say that Red Bull would pretty much be at the back if that was it. It is a very basic one, isn't it? We knew that last year's show cars, like we said, this seems to be almost a bit of a hybrid <laughs> of them with some bits from the Red Bull parts bin. We knew that that was a basic interpretation of the regulations, didn't we? Uh, yes, um, I agree. It's, it's very difficult, as I say, because you end up, everything costs money, you know, and then there's a budget cap and stuff. This is, this is obviously still cost money. So it's one of those things you got to be careful of because you can uh, be too smart. Um, but you know, we are expecting with the new regulations that Adrian Newey and his team will, will put together something that will have, um, some, you know, nice looking solutions to given problems. Um, and I'd love to see that. You know, I, I in my last days in, in F1 or during my period in F1 designing cars, I always actually liked the running press release because it showed to the world that you were up and running. Uh, the car, you know, the car had to go around around the track. I've had my days of press releases with, you know, four by two timber blocks underneath the chassis holding it up the ground um, because it wasn't ready. And, you know, they're all acceptable, but just make sure that you make sure you tell the people that you're trying to impress that this is the situation. Don't don't try and hide it. You know, whenever the commentators in that during the press release were all saying about how fantastic it looks and, you know, Max and, and uh, Sergio were saying about the car and how they were excited about it and stuff, that's all absolute rubbish. Um but but it's rubbish that we've been told. So you know, as I say, we can only we can only believe what we're told or what we see, and, and try to do something about it. But I am expecting Red Bull to be, you know, right up there with it. Um, many people have said that if you if you just won the world championship, then you should, um, you know, you, you take a year off type thing. Um, and <laughs> maybe this is it. Maybe this is their year off. But uh, if it is, it's a bit dramatic. I must admit. I, I expect them to have a very very well packaged uh, car. And, uh, you know, I, I expect them to be right at the front again. Um, so this is not that car, though. Even if this was the real car, there would be details hidden. No question about that. But this is, yeah, taking it to, to extremes. Mark, is there a risk that this is what we're going to see from everyone? We've seen the Haas. That was a genuine 
design, not the Barcelona spec, but that, that was a real design. It wasn't just the, the show car. But is there a risk we might see everyone doing this kind of thing, or are we pretty confident we will start to see uh, genuine cars? I am pretty sure we will see genuine cars. Um, I have been in touch with a couple of other teams, and they assure me that they won't be doing what what, what Red Bull have just done, and that they will be showing actual cars. So, yeah, I, I think this is going to be just just that team. Well, Gary, you mentioned that uh, maybe maybe they just took a bit of a holiday and haven't done the car. But uh, joking aside, obviously there are challenges for a team like Red Bull. They were in a remarkably intense title fight that went all the way down to the last lap of the last race last year. Also, the top teams have less wind tunnel runs, less CFD items because of the aerodynamic testing regulations. It's kind of a reverse sliding scale, almost handicap system, if you like. So do you think there's a risk that a team like Red Bull and Mercedes will be lacking a little bit in the the kind of resources, the development resources, especially under the cost cap, to do their usual excellent job? Um, well, I don't think that the cost cap really will sink in right now. Um, you know, I think the, the getting the the, uh, the first car up and running for testing and um, getting into the first races with a bit of development will be possible for everybody within the cost cap. It'll be after that about managing that uh, that budget all the way through the season, depending upon where you sort of find yourself. And, and that's going to be the tricky part. Um, as you say, Red Bull pushed to the limit last year to try and win the championship, as did as did Mercedes in, in reality. Um, so I think they both they both got the same deficit, or whatever you like to call it, that because of their efforts last year. Uh, so I, I do expect them. There's still an arm and a leg above the rest of the teams, to be honest, as far as what they were able to do last year on a on a Saturday and a Sunday. You know, yes, there was the odd time when another team, Ferrari or McLaren um, would would nudge them a little bit, but not regularly at all. So they they still had a big window of opportunity to try and uh, and take it forward. And I think that again, the regulation challenge, the change in regulations will will be will be driven by the top teams. That's the ones that's going to do the most research and stuff. And as I say, I don't I don't think it will really be budget restriction affected for the initial part of the season, up to sort of Monaco or something. And then you're going to have to start to plan fairly conservatively to, to make sure that you, you get the get through the season without overspending. You know, in, in reality, it, it, you could end up at the end of the year saying, well, I'm not going to have money to do those last two races, so I, you know, I can't go there. You know, it's quite simple. You just lock the cars down in the workshop and leave them there and don't go to the last two races. So then somebody in the FIA or the F1 or whoever it is will have to sort of look at the budget caps situation and actually say, oh, is this a good idea? We're losing, you know, a top team here because they haven't got the money or they can't spend the money. They've got the money, but they can't spend the money. Um, so it'll be an interesting situation to see because, you know, everybody will still go into the season thinking they can win. Um, and then suddenly reality will hit them, you know, a third of the way in or whatever that they're they're not able to win. And the, and the top guys, the ones that can spend be more efficient with their spend and identify the direction they need to develop and will actually come out on top. And that, that's what normally happens, you know. You can sometimes see a small team uh, when you've got regulation changes at the beginning of the season just being a little bit smarter than some of the others and taking advantage of it, which is, you know, that's obviously the big challenge. But it doesn't it doesn't last for very long. Normally, along comes the big boys and, and suddenly you're kick, kicked out of base. And... Um, I think that's what we'll see again this year. There is small teams that could do a good job in the first bit of the season, but then the big boys will come along and um, just overpower you. And Mark, on, on that same point, what are you hearing about the impact of the aero testing restrictions? Because 
to put some numbers on it, in terms of wind tunnel runs last year, Red Bull and Mercedes had 1,752 available wind tunnel runs over the year. They're divided up into different phases of the year, but that's the total. Whereas Haas which had, and Williams, which had the most, had 2,136. That's a big difference, and there's a similar gap in the, the CFD items. So this is kind of squeezing the leading teams, the, the limitations, isn't it? It is, and I think um, as as it goes on and those gaps get uh, get bigger in, in the regulation, they I think you might start to see a, a little bit more of a an effect. But it's still, as Gary says, the the top teams are still likely to be the top teams. So you might see what once these regulations have matured a little bit, I'm sure you will see the gap between the front and the back close up a little. Um, I'm sure it, initially it's going to be more spread than we've been used to, but I'm sure it will, when they get mature, it will close up. But they, I don't think that that's likely to be a differentiating factor this year between, say, Mercedes and Red Bull. I think you may see the effect front to back, as I say, once the regulations have calmed down and everybody's converged to a, what, what is the, the obvious best solutions for these new regs. And of course, the steps between teams in, in the rankings for this year increase. So the disparities in terms of that aero testing will be reduced. But Gary, to come back to these cars, what you've seen so far, the Haas and the Red Bull, the Red Bull barely qualifies, but you've been disappointed with it. Do you think that there's scope in these regulations for when we see the real Red Bull, the real Mercedes, the real Ferrari, you know, the top teams with the big, uh, the, 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 the big resources to throw at it? Do you think there will be details that make you go, wow, okay, that's way more detailed than we perhaps thought they were going to be? And what do you do? You think those areas might be? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Um, the thing is, the devil is always in the detail. Um, and going past, going back, you know, 20, 30, 40 years or whatever, you know, there was big finds to be had. You could, you could, you could, you know, find big solutions and big steps in in uh, in performance very, very quickly. But now that's all been reduced dramatically. But the reality is still that you know if you can find a tenth of a second in the detail, then that tenth of a second is just as hard for somebody else to find. So it doesn't matter, you know, as I say, 20, 30 years ago, you could find a second maybe in, in your, your package that you're updating, but now it's, it might be a tenth of a second. Um, but that's still just as important, as I say. So it just takes time to filter through how the car works, how the driver responds to it, what the driver wants from it, you know, we're hearing quite a lot of stuff where the, the drivers that run in the simulation are saying, oh, you know, cars are going to have a bit more understeer in low-speed corners and uh, they'll be okay in high-speed corners. Um, I think on the on the video thing with Red Bull today, we heard Mike Verstappen say in the, in the, in the uh, simulator it's got less grip. It should have less grip because that's the objective of it. You can't generate downforce without generating turbulence and vortices. The vortices around the car, the, the airflow structure of these cars last year and the year before or whatever, was so important to its performance that if you can generate it from a, a clean line bodywork solution, um, then all that work that went into the last few years has just been a waste of time. So I think you've got you to end up saying that development will be key, but um, identifying the development direction will be even more important. And that's that's the big thing, especially with the budget cap, because in the past people could just spend, and if the front wing that they made for the car, which cost maybe a, you know a hundred thousand pounds with tooling and everything, didn't work, 
They just put it in the skip out the back. You can't do that nowadays. You're going to have to identify those areas where you get the biggest bang for your buck. But you've also got to identify the areas that are restricting you. Um, front wing is always going to be important because the, the, the airflow weight coming off that front wing is the thing that affects the rest of your car. Forget anybody else. Forget following somebody else in turbulence or whatever. Your car is the one that you do 99.9% of your design to make better. You want the, your car to perform as best possible. So as I say, front wing, the rest of the car has to live with that airflow regime that's coming off that. That area will be very important. Front brake ducts. Um, and the big thing is if you if you go back to the, when the double diffuser was, was sort of generated or created, I suppose you might call it. I mean, other teams adapted to it fairly well. But the end result is that the mechanical part inside of the gearbox housing in that was never as good for everybody else as the people that understood it right from the beginning. And it's the same with this. Um, you've got to be very, very careful that you don't design yourself into a hole uh, by not leaving yourself opportunity to optimise something. What is that optimization? Is it the chassis shape around the leading edge of the, of the underfloor? Is it the diffuser, rear suspension? You know, there's so many bits and pieces that, that are different that that's the thing that will, will make or break a team, as if they've not allowed themselves the opportunity to de develop in areas where there might be an advantage. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to be probably Barcelona on February the 23rd before any of the rival teams get to see any of those details they might want to copy on this Red Bull. You're listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series. Aramco continuously pushed the limits of engineering. As the global energy partner of F1, they drive a shared vision to real-world innovation that aims to lower emissions, enhance performance, and drive ongoing human-led progress. Aramco, powered by HAL. Mark, should we talk about engines? Obviously, this year, Red Bull will be powered by what's ostensibly its own engine, but it's still the Honda power unit, isn't it? So can you explain exactly what the deal is here, please? Yeah, I mean, Honda is still, um, they, although they, it's not badged as a Honda and Honda is not officially participating, Honda is still um, very much um, behind the preparation of the engines. Red Bull Powertrains is uh, focusing everything on the uh, 26 engine which may or may not be uh, be doing an association with Volkswagen. So what we've what we've got for the the remainder of this engine formula is pretty much what Honda gave gave us last year, and that's um, everybody's frozen from what they they run um, at the beginning of the season mechanically and at the end of September in terms of the um, the the energy recovery system. So. Yeah, it's, it's essentially last year's Honda, but it will be badged Red Bull powertrains. Gary, you've got a lot of experience of working with Honda. The fact that they're still involved so heavily is very positive for, for Red Bull, isn't it? And Honda will probably put just as much effort into their work on the engine within what the regulations allow as they did before. It's just that a different organisation is footing the bill. Yeah, it is really. Uh, you know, they're a fantastic company to work with. And as I say, we, we went through our experiences with them when we changed from Peugeot, at, at, at Jordan, when we changed from the Peugeot engine to the to the Honda engine. And for sure, it, was, it wasn't it was as good as the Peugeot unit. Um, it was well down on par. Um, the biggest problem is that in Japan, the guys that were there that were sort of involved with the design of the, of the engine or whatever, it was they were sort of blind to the real performance on the track. 
And the trackside engineers didn't like to go back and tell them, look, the engine's not performing like it should. So you had this sort of impasse where nothing was going to happen. And me being me, you know, did a lot of uh, trips back and forth to Japan to try and point out the deficits to them. But the day they sort of clicked and realized that they had a problem, there was nobody I've seen respond to it, anything like what Honda did. They, you know, by the next morning, they had a plan, and that plan was executed. They they met the the the, 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 the requests, and the step was was incredible. So that's the thing that's important. And I think Honda this this term with the McLaren experience and so on, they went through the same sort of experience. But with McLaren, they didn't they didn't have a, a relationship. And then whenever they got involved with AlphaTauri, as it was, you know that relationship sort of built where they were being treated correctly, being suggestions being made, and they were responding. And then that developed into the Red Bull relationship, and obviously that gave them the big uh, the big challenge because whenever you're with, with Red Bull, that's the team you you know you're heading for for race wins and championship wins with. So you have to respond to it, and they and they did very well. And I, I think probably Honda themselves will admit now they sort of announced their uh, their withdrawal from F1 maybe you know six months maybe a year too early and if they hadn't done that they would still be involved and now they're still involved except for slightly sort of to the side a little bit but that might suit them quite well as well just not to, just to take the focus off at that fraction you know all the people are still involved the, the engines are still being sort of conceived and, and built in, in Japan. You know, there's a lot of a lot of Honda involvement and that can only be good. And I think it might just take the pressure off them that little bit, which actually makes them a stronger a stronger team uh to, to develop the PU. So I'm looking forward to it. I think they're they're in a, a very good situation. They have a very good relationship with Red Bull and with um AlphaTauri now. Um it, it's only upward from here on in I think. Yeah, certainly. We're looking forward to seeing what the performance of that 2022 spec Honda engine is. They've put plenty of effort into it. Mark, coming back to the car, we've mentioned Adrian Newey earlier. You wrote a piece on the race website that ran today that looked at Adrian Newey's genius solutions to previous rule changes. Do you think he's Red Bull's not-so-secret weapon when it comes to this? And when we do see the, the final car later this month, he will have probably hit on something approximating the, the right solution. Yeah, you'd hope so. It, it, I mean, Adrian in the past has um, varied in how much uh, he's been involved in the initial uh, conception of uh, each year's new car because there's been other projects going on, and such as the, the Aston Valkyrie in 20... When was it? 17. Um, so... But you would imagine that with a new set of regulations, this will have really um, captured his interest. And the last two big regs before 17, big reg changes before 17, were, of course, 2009 and 1998. And in those, both those situations, he came up with um, very different solutions to everyone else, and which turned out to be absolutely the correct ones in which everybody else subsequently followed. So in 98 was the McLaren uh, MP413, which uh, won the title that year. And then 2009, it was the Red Bull RB5, which didn't win the title because it didn't start off with the double diffuser. But even in single diffuser forms, it was almost as fast as the Braun. And then when it got its proper double diffuser, um, it was probably the, the fastest car on the field. So um, it was on that occasion, his the way he interpreted the 
the chassis regulations, what the sh shape of the chassis should be. And uh, he managed to find a way of it not being just as intended in the regulations, uh, a rectangle, but still complying to the regulations and creating more space beneath the car. And that became the standard way of doing it in each, each of those respective formulas. So there, is there a loophole within these regulations that have been deliberately designed to be very, very restrictive and prescriptive? So maybe not. But if there is, I mean, there's one way of finding it is that the the the, the big research programs of the of the top teams, um, which you know will still be very powerful even under the budget cap. And the other way is just a blind inspiration, and that's you know Red Bull's well equipped in in, in both both those areas. So. I, yeah, I, I, I'd be very disappointed if um, if the Red Bull it doesn't at least look a little bit um, distinctive when it does appear. And Gary, you've been known to produce some very clever ideas for new rules packages for F1 in your time. So do you think we will see some moments of magic from the likes of, of Newey? Um, I, I think so, yes. I mean, it's always hard to predict because obviously um, Adrian's... The, the teams are all growing. Adrian's getting older, um, and be, and because of that, other more teams now have more people in place doing stuff. But I, I think it, you know, I, I sort of always looked at it. That it's it's no individual thing that makes a competitive car. It's a, it's a sum of all the bits working together as one. And I think you have to get that all together to 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 make it work. And I think Adrian's very good at seeing. Not seeing. Seeing's the wrong word. We always say Adrian knew he can see airflow, but that's not true. But I think he understands what things do to airflow and the fact that you know you you need to make it all, manage it all correctly. Um, and although you end up with a situation where he has got some type of a thing on the car or a, a, a solution on the car, he doesn't have to have it proved proven to him with the wind tunnel and numbers on a spreadsheet before he sort of commits to it because he in theory, understands that sometimes it takes a bit more time to get the best out of it. You don't have to prove it immediately. It, it just takes a bit more time. And, it, and he's got a good relationship. You know, Red Bull, obviously, he's had a fantastically successful career. But Red Bull also have confidence in him that he'll get there. And if, you know, if he was coming in with a car at the minute where he had something on it, where all his people were saying, yeah, but look, you know, this works better if you do this little curve on this bit of the, bit of the front wing or whatever – this works better, but Adrian would say, "Well, no, I under, you know, I know that right now it works better, but long term it isn't going to work better. We just got to find the solution to my my idea, and and he's he's very confident in doing that sort of stuff, and that's where it really sort of breeds because you can you know you you keep on um, pushing the limits and giving yourself opportunity to do something somewhere down the line. It doesn't have to be today, but somewhere down the line it'll just switch over and you will get better from what you've your." From your concept than what you would have got with the other concept. So, I uh, I think that you know all the top guys, especially in the aerodynamics, dominate the scene. But all the top guys in the aerodynamic departments all have the ability to get the best out of what they got. It might just be that Adrian sees what he hasn't got that will get the best out of it in a month's time or two months' time or whatever. Gives himself a bigger opportunity for success later on. And that's going to be the fascinating thing with these new rules: how the cars evolve over the course of this season and whether by the start of next year they pretty much converged on a theme that's kind of an expectation that that will be the case would, would you expect that to happen Gary that it, that it will be there's there's one sort of ideal concept to gravitate towards or could we see the kind of high rake low rake split that admittedly 
the low rakes are in the minority at the end of the last rules phases. But could there be some divide like that? I, I think it's diminishing returns, to be honest, on the, with these cars. The, the car is so detailed in the regulations, as Mark says, you know, it's, it's very prescriptive. That I think it will be all the, the little bits, just the, 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 the dot the I's and cross the T's and every little component. And the difference in seeing, you know, a, a, a radius of something of, you know, one metre, as opposed to seeing the radius on a turning vane of, of you know, 0.9 of a metre. It's impossible nearly to see it, but the difference can be massive. You know, that sort of thing, that sort of small detail is where the where the uh, the opportunities will lie. But again, within the cost cap and the wind tunnel restrictions, it's very, very difficult to prove those. So you have to make sure that you're, you know, you want, you you well, like everybody says about Adrian Newey, you can see airflow. Uh, if you can do that, if you can have a bit of a feel as to what the airflow would do if you do certain things, um, that's very important because you, w- you won't have the time to prove it now. You know, we used to go to a wind tunnel with 10 different front wing end plates all sort of different curvatures, let's say, just small changes. And um, and then you sort of exploit that. You get to the, the middle one um, and you say, okay, that's the best of that solution. Now you'll refine that down. And the next time you go to the wind tunnel, you have 10 more with slightly different uh, curvatures or slightly different angles or something. And you just prove it out. Now you can't do that. So you're going to have to see past the results to see where you take it to in the future. And if anybody's got that opportunity, as I say, or that knowledge or understanding or whatever you like to call it, it's Adrian. And I think part of this comes from him still using a drawing board as well. You know, he he draws all his stuff up in a drawing board. And, I, and I've said the same thing. The one thing about drawing stuff up 2D is you've got to think about it in 3D. You've got to see it in 3D to make sure that you can actually achieve it. And doing 2D forces you to do that. Whereas if you do it on a, on, a, on a surface, you know, surface CAD system, you end up drawing it in 3D. You don't have to think about that. And I think that's one of Adrian's major assets is how deep he has to think about what he's drawing with uh, with with the tools he has, and it, it keeps him it keeps him sharp. Do you, do you think, Mark, that Newey's still got it got it in him that that bit of magic? Because obviously he's been in Formula One for a long time. There've been times when other projects have have taken him away. Do you think that this car, if you had to bet on it right now with the very limited information, do you think that this car will once again prove him to be the right person to have? Oh yeah, he's not. Um, you know, he's uh, as I say before, his involvement is is varied, uh, but there's been no evidence that um, his his insight or his talents of of, of fading. As, as soon as he's got properly involved, you've seen the results and whether it's been turning around an initially difficult car and making a very competitive. I mean, as Gary said before, it's 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 a whole team. It's all. Hundreds of people are doing it, not one man. But the insight has often been coming from Adrian. the The actual understanding of a of of what needs to, what needs to be done to to get rid of the the limitations, rather than just working away at them. But what what needs to be rethought um, very often has been coming from Adrian, even in, in, in recent seasons. So yeah, I still he's still hugely competitive, and he's he still always seems to want to have a point to prove. So yeah, absolutely um, don't. Uh, don't see, don't expect to see him uh, sort of fading away just yet. 
Yeah, and that's what makes the Red Bull the most eagerly anticipated car. It's just a shame we're going to have to wait another couple of weeks before we get a good idea about it. So thanks very much to Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen as there's loads to read there, including Gary's piece on the so-called new Red Bull. Head to our YouTube channel as well to have a look at our video on the car. And if podcasts are your thing, also check out Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories. The launches are coming thick and fast, and we'll be back on Thursday with a look at the next 2022 F1 car, the Aston Martin AMR22. Thanks for listening to the Aramco 2022 F1 Car Reveal Series. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.